Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Andrea Tomei is another versatile creative woman. Sports and hard news were her beats as a broadcast journalist. In fact, that's how she met her husband, Hall of Famer, Cleveland Indians third baseman Jim Tomei. Andrea interviewed him on opening day of Major League Baseball's 1995 season. They got married three years later, and Andrea put her journalism career on hold to raise a family. And, it turns out, to embark on another career. Andrea has been writing since her days as a journalist, but the death of her mother in 2014 was the catalyst prompting her to focus on fiction. The result? The three-part award-winning Hessek Creek series, novel number one, Walland, published in 2016. It was followed a year later by Seeds of Intention and the recently published House of Belonging. A passionate photographer, Andrea's photographs appear on the covers of all three novels, which explore some of her favorite travel destinations, from the foothills of the Smoky Mountains to the Colorado Rockies. So let's meet and get to know Andrea. Welcome, and thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Sandy. I appreciate it. Back in the 90s, you had to have been a bit of an anomaly to be a sports journalist, correct? Yeah, you know, back in those days, there was another woman reporter in Cleveland who had been there for a while, Lisa Burkew, and, you know, obviously Hannah Storm, that was, you know, she was kind of in her in her prime at that point, but there really were not a lot of female sports reporters and, and or anchors. So, yeah, it was, it was uh, you know, I was finding my way, sort of working blind, didn't really have a, a roadmap of how to do it, but I loved it. I, I grew up uh, as a sports fan. I had a brother and a dad who that's all they really watched, so by osmosis, I, I learned a lot. Um, and, yeah, I just, I thought it would be fun to try it when I was in college uh, on our local college station, and a, a news director from Toledo, Ohio, came down to tour the facility and saw me doing sports and he offered me a job um, right then to, uh, they had somebody that had quit to do sports on the weekend them to anger sports. So I jumped right in. I think that that has to have been unusual because even today, women are slightly more ubiquitous doing color as well as anchoring sports shows. But back then there weren't too many of you. There really weren't. No. Um, I mean, Lisa and I were in Cleveland, both doing it and but but it was strange. You had to be, I don't know how this is going to sound, but you couldn't be as womanly of a woman doing sports, if that makes sense. You I really totally make sense. To yes. Tone down your yes. <laughs> femaleness, yes. if you will, in a way that today, I mean, gosh, you turn on any of the MLB network, ESPN, and the women really get to be who they want to be and can be whatever they want to be. And, and some sometimes I think are encouraged to be, you know, over the top in that department. So it's really kind of swung the other way now. Were you taken seriously when you first started out? Were you respected? Were you encouraged? Do you know, I kept my head down, went about my business. I stuck to my job. I went in, I asked the questions. Um, one of the guys on, on Jim's team at that time was Albert Bell, and he was kind of notorious for being a very difficult interview, didn't like the media. You know, I frankly was sort of terrified of him. Here I am, an early 20s broadcaster doing sports. Not many other women were. And I remember going down to cover the All-Star Game in 97, and I didn't even ask him for an interview. I interviewed everybody else on the team and kind of just gave him his space. And he called out and had a clubhouse guy come and get me and gave me the only interview. And when I was done interviewing him, he said, I only, I only let you do this interview, not because you're a woman, but because I respect how you go about your business. How are you treated in the locker room? You know, it's been a long time since I've been in there and things have certainly changed. But honestly, I personally never had a problem, never had an issue. I kept 
kept my eyes up and, you know, just did my job. When I wasn't interviewing someone, my eyes were on my notepad. Um, yeah, I just kind of, I just went about my business. <laughs> I kept my eyes where they were supposed to be. I hear you. So was it kind of a natural act to transition from hard news to sports? I mean, it was just, it was just very natural for you. Actually, I transitioned from, well, in, in college, I did a little news and then I started doing sports. So I started out in Toledo doing sports. But when I met Jim, I very shortly after that transitioned to news. That's when I started anchoring the morning and the noon news for the NBC affiliate in Cleveland, because I felt like at that point there was a conflict of interest and I preferred to switch to news at that point. So that was your call. Oh, yeah. What was it like being married to um, a larger than life, well-known deified man. <laughs> I am lucky that I was raised by a super strong mom and a, a a father who really taught me that, you know, I was as whatever I was doing was as important as whatever my husband was doing, whether it is raising a family at that time or writing now or whatever. So I never looked at him as we were always equal. My And my husband is so supportive and I'm lucky He's kind of an anomaly, you know, and the fact that we've been married, we're going to celebrate our 20th anniversary in November, you know, in sports, I always say that's like dog in dog years. That's like, you know, a hundred, a hundred years married. Of course. It is, it is unusual in sports to, um, for me to have met someone like him. He came from a family that just a very solid family. His parents had been married a long time. So had mine. I think, I don't know. I think like-minded people sometimes are, you know, luck out and find each other. And we certainly did. So I never felt threatened. I never felt less important than him. I felt like my role in what I was doing, raising our kids and kind of, you know, running our family entity was as important, arguably, if not more than what he was doing. That's great. You had this really solid foundation. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I I was, I was taught, right. My parents were a partnership. My dad was a, um, a small business owner his whole life. My mom worked in the office with him, uh, you know, not just as an office manager, but as a partner, as an equal partner. And so that's, I was taught that's how you do it. That's great. So you marry Jim Tomei, you do a little traveling around because he gets traded and then you're starting to raise a family. And then, I mean, as I said in the introduction that you had been writing since your days as a journalist, but that doesn't mean you're any good at it. What made you think that <laughs> exactly. you, what made you think that you could write novels? You know, I always thought I was going to once the kids were, you know, older in school, my goal was to get them in school full time and then I knew I would go back to work in some capacity. I thought early on it would be back in TV because I filled in here and there when we were in Minnesota, I did some Twin Cities Live and and really enjoyed that kind of a program more than hard news because it was more interview based, lifestyle based. But now that I've seen the evolution of how, you know, news is, I would never go back. <laughs> and then, you know, that cu- that coupled with the fact that, you know, my mom passed away and my mom was a, a published poet and I was very inspired by her. So I sat down really to write thinking I'm going to just try it as kind of an homage to her because she would want me to. She knew I would I wanted to write something. I thought it would be a children's book. But when I started writing, it was not a children's book. <laughs> It, uh, I just kind of let it flow that first one. It kind of, I always say Walland came through me. It wasn't really a plan. It's just what came out of a, it was sort of a cathartic experience after the death of my mom. So it was a natural act, A, I'm going to put words in your mouth, and B, you felt like you had something to say. I guess I did. I guess, you know, I 
think there was a little bit of a void, and, and I bristle at the. I don't like to call my books romance novels. Some people have said they are romantic books. That's great. I like to think of them as women's fiction, and I think there was a little bit of a void that I felt like I could try to fill a little bit and explore some things that I'm interested in, whether it's travel, whether it's yoga, whether it's enlightenment, whether it's, you know, finding the true reason that we're here. All of those things are interesting to me. So I thought, why not weave those into a story? A, B, I think there's enough garbage in the world and we can use some more happy endings. So I thought (laughs) my books are going to be something that when you're finished with them, hopefully people feel good about having spent time with it. Sometimes I've read books that I, that I love, but they're so dark that it takes a while to shake them off when you're done. So I didn't want that. So you wanted us to go into a different world, to leave, you know, the everyday, the mundane, the difficult, whatever, and be transported into your world. Absolutely. And I wanted people, a lot of people have told me they're, you know, gosh, I could never afford to go to Blackberry Farm, but you made me feel like I've been there. And for me, that's just the biggest compliment. That's what I want. And I want to, you know, I've been really fortunate to have had the life we've had. We're both, Jim and I are both rolling stones. We like to, you know, move about the country. And I want to share that. Like, I want to just paint that picture for people that maybe aren't going to get to go or, you know, maybe physically can't go. But the, the fact that people enjoy my books for that reason is so meaningful to me. So they're also travelogues in a sense, because you're taking us on, on these other journeys, not only personal journeys and fictionalized journeys, but you're taking us to places that maybe some of us might never have the opportunity to go and experience. I would say so, yeah. And there's some of my favorite places. Obviously, I'm a mountain girl because I went from the Smoky Mountains to the Rocky Mountains. Um, even a little bit in California I touch on is up near, you know, Malibu, kind of that area. I like nature and being outdoors, and that's just a big part of who I am. So I think it's natural that it's in my books that way. What was the genesis of Hess Creek? Did you realize or did you know that this was going to turn into a series? I had no clue. Uh, and so so the Walland is the name of the small town where the resort is. That's how I came up with a title for that book. And then Hess Creek series, I, I wasn't going to name it anything at first after that first book. In fact, I started writing a completely second, uh, completely different book for the second book and got about three chapters in. And it just felt like it wasn't flowing the same way Walland did. And in the meantime, I'd let some friends preview Walland, and they all said, well, what's going to happen? I mean, what's happening next? You have to write the continuation. And, and I knew I didn't need to write the continuation of Wyatt and India's story, per se. But I thought there was somebody that had kind of a character that had kind of poked his head up very briefly in the first book. And I thought, well, I could explore that story a little more. So I set the story I was working on aside and just thought, well, let me see if anything comes. And it was like turning the faucet back on. It just, it was so much easier than what I had been writing. So I just let it go and Seeds of Intention was born that way. I'm sort of a a meditative writer, I guess, if you will. When I'm writing, I don't have a huge outline. I just let it flow. So that's sort of how this whole series happened. I didn't even know there would only be three books until I was maybe a quarter of a way through the third one. And then I knew I could tie it all together and finish it. Was it difficult to get your books published? Being a first-time author? I didn't really even try to sell it. Maybe it's because I'm a control person, control freak, but I wanted to, and this is another nod to my mom. My mom self-published her poetry Uh 20 years ago this year, which when it was very difficult to self-publish, there weren't hybrid companies. There weren't companies like the company I used to help me go through my whole editing process, design process. I'm sort of an indie published author, I say. 
so I wanted to have creative control over all of it. And I committed to myself for this first series, for this first three books, once I knew it was going to be more, that I would do this myself and that these three books would be sort of my calling card when I go to sell my whatever I'm doing next, what I'm working on now. So, and I do have somebody that's interested now in signing me. So, but I'm a little afraid because I've enjoyed the experience of doing it myself as well. And I, and I have the luxury of being able to do it. That's only natural, isn't it? There may be an ebb and flow, but there's also a stop and start, don't you think? Oh, for sure. Well, and it's a good problem because I can continue doing it this way and it's completely fulfilling and it's been successful. And I've had, you know, I've built a really nice, um, I don't want to say business, like a brand. I hate that word too, but I've built a nice following. People seem to really enjoy this. And for me, that's, that's all it's about. And, and, and I love the writing. All the other stuff's a little hard for me, to be honest. To go to bookstores and talk, stand up there and talk about myself is difficult. That's uh-huh. not my favorite thing. Well, also, you're taking on different characters when you're writing a book. On some levels, that might almost be easier than being who you are, even though you were who you are when you were a journalist. It's a really interesting juxtaposition. It's been really interesting, and I've really enjoyed uh, this, this new book I'm working on. I'm writing from a male perspective, and I, I, I'm surprised with myself how much I enjoy that kind of inhabiting the male mind. So yeah, it's kind of fun. You do get to try on different, you know, costumes and characters and kind of go where it takes you. But who who knows what's next? I'm just, I'm going where the wind blows me. I think I'm a true Sagittarius in that way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, talk to us about the series of these three books. What is the tie that binds them all? Is there a recurring character in all of your books? So in the first book, my my two main characters, uh, Wyatt and India, are kind of like the whole jumping off point for the series. And then there is a character, very secondary character in Walland that then becomes the main character in Seeds, and then a very minor character from Seeds that becomes the main character in House of Belonging. So there's a common thread, and the characters from the first and second books do appear in the third. They all kind of make cameos, I guess, if you will. But, but I didn't want it to just be gratuitous. Their stories matter, and the reason they're there, it's all interwoven. And actually, in House of Belonging, it's kind of interesting. There's a character from both Walland and Seeds, and they are the main characters in House. And I didn't ever see that coming. But this female character in the newest book, House of Belonging, her name is Lena Ming. And she is a chef, a female chef. And I, I love food, and I love food in particular from chefs that treat it as art. And I think it's such an artistic, I have, I'm in such awe of when I just recently went to French Laundry and just to see how creative chefs are. And I had watched a documentary on this incredible female chef, Dominique Crenn, who is just so inspiring. And she was my muse for Lena. And I had remembered that Lena was in Wallen very briefly. And I thought, she's my main character for How to Belonging. When I saw this Dominique Crenn documentary, I thought, well, it, it, this is what I want to write about. I want to write about how a woman can, and maybe it's a little bit of my experience in sports. It's hard for a woman to be in sports. It's also very difficult for a woman to be, to succeed in the food industry and, and being a chef. It's a very male-driven business. Yeah, so no I think kidding. maybe that's why I was drawn to her story. And in terms of location, you set your novels in some of your favorite places? It is. And Aspen in particular has the a big food and wine festival in the summer. And my husband and I went um, last summer when I was writing House of Belonging. So that was so, and it was, that was a, a complete happy accident that we had had that plan during the writing. And it was so helpful for me to be immersed in that while I was writing about Lena. The book is set a little during food and wine. So yeah, I always borrow from my personal experience. In, in the first book, Walland, India is, is, a, is a, uh, a newscaster. 
And people always say, oh, is that you? And I said, no, it's not me. But that was my first book. And I did borrow from what I knew because I was brand new at this. I mean, I, I, I like the Forrest Gump of writing. I just keep keep running until I get to the end of the pier. And then I guess when I get there, I'll just turn around. I'm learning this as I go. But you know what strikes me, and this is a tie, again, that binds so many of the women that I've interviewed, you know, it's kind of sitting down saying, I want to write a book. I mean, that fascinates me. Do you not marvel at that? Or do you just think, again, that these are just natural acts? People ask me the same thing. Do you, like, when you think that your husband has 612 home runs, don't you think that's amazing? And I guess I'm so close to it. And this applies to this. I'm so close to this. This is just what my parents taught me is if you want to do something, go do it. Leap and then look. And that's kind of what I've always done. I just thought, well, let me, I'll never know if I can do it or not unless I try. But that doesn't mean you're good at it. Yeah, I know. And I didn't think, I mean, when I was first writing it, I had no clue if it was going to be any good. And, you know, I was, it's terrifying to when you finish a chapter or two or three. And then I showed my, showed my girlfriend. It is horrifying to turn your art around and wait to hear what someone thinks about it. And I only showed it to people that I knew would say, "Mm, go back to the drawing board or it's great. And I got great feedback and that I think just propelled me to keep doing it. Yeah. It's really tough to take your clothes off like that. How do artists do it? How do painters do it? The start is I'm doing it for me first. And if this works, how fabulous that is. For me to sit down and think that I could write a story, for example, is a very contrived, not a natural act for me. Oh, that's so interesting. I don't even almost remember the moment that I sat down to do it. It's just like one minute I wasn't, and then the next minute that's what I was doing. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a talk about a blind squirrel finding a nut. Maybe this doesn't have to be overanalyzed. This is what you wanted to do, and you did it. And I think that that in and of itself could be very empowering, as opposed to thinking, oh, I don't have any talent, or I just don't have any ability. Well, and it's interesting, as much as I've loved this process of writing, and I am writing something new, part of me, and maybe it's just because, again, I'm, I get itchy feet if I'm in one place too long. I want to do something different. I want to, I want to take a bite out of everything I can while I'm here. You know, I'm 46 years old and we're not on the planet forever and there's a lot to do and there's a lot to see. So part of me thinks, gosh, okay, I've written this series. I'm writing something new. You know, everyone, everyone that reads it says to me, or a lot of people say, this should be a movie. Now it's not a motion picture, I don't think, but they're, the way that people view their content has changed so much. I think maybe I should try to see about getting this on an Amazon Prime video, or maybe that would be an interesting creative process to try to to turn it into something visual, because I am very visual. I love photography. So I don't know. I'm contemplating that next chapter, too. I just, I know a lot of people will start writing and then do it forever. You know, I don't know that that's something I want to do forever, Yeah. but I've loved it while I'm doing it. And there may be one day when you wake up and you have nothing to say. Every morning, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk about the photography and that part of your life. Was that just also a natural act for you? Did that start young, that you just started to take pictures? Yeah, my mom was a big picture taker, too. But I, yeah, and I take a lot of my pictures. I have a big, beautiful Canon 4D camera that I will carry on certain trips. But honestly, I take a lot of my stuff with my iPhone, like everybody else in the world. And I think it's about luck. And I love to capture I don't know. I, I, I want to evoke a feeling with a photograph when I take it. And so that's kind of, and all three of my covers, I want people to look at it 
And I want them to pick these books up and go, ooh, that God, that's a pretty picture. What's this about? That's mm-hmm. sort of my hook. Mm-hmm. So it could be a book about anything because, you know, my, my house of belonging covers just simply a swing hanging from a tree. But for me, God, wouldn't I love to step into that and sit on that swing and contemplate life for a few minutes, you know? So that's, that's what I want people to see. Do you see as another chapter in your life, for example, taking photographs and exhibiting them and maybe having a show? Hmm, maybe, if that seems a little terrifying to me, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, more so than writing, interestingly enough. I don't know why, because I feel like so many people are, are so good at it that it's saturated but I, I, that doesn't mean that my voice isn't a little bit different or my eye is not a little bit different. So, right. yeah, I guess I, I could think about that. Let's talk also about what it must be like to be married to someone who's larger than life. How did you adjust mm-hmm. to that? You know, he's not a larger than life person. It may appear that way, but he is very down to earth. He's hilarious. Um, and he doesn't show that to a lot of people, but he's so funny. And we have so much fun together. I guess I've been with him. When when we met, he had 29 home runs. (laughs) And then he ended with 612. So when I met him, he was just like a young, you know, 23-year-old kid who was pretty good. And that's the person that I still know today. So I guess if I had met him maybe when he had just hit his 500th home run and was a larger than life, maybe I'd have a different perspective. I'd walked in at a different moment. Maybe it would feel different. But he's just Jim to me. Also, talk to me about what it must be like to have such a career like that, such an illustrious career, and then have it not end, but you move on to something else. Did your husband have to reinvent himself? Yeah, you know, I think it took a good year of getting his sea legs, you know, saying, okay, well, now what do I do? I think he missed the camaraderie of, you know, the everyday in the clubhouse with the guys, and he is just such a teammate, and I think he missed having teammates um, Mm -hmm. more than anything. But then, you know, he kind of stepped in a year later and started working for the White Sox as a special assistant to the GM. He gets to be around a lot of the um, young prospects and kids. I think that's really kind of renewed his, you know, love for the game. He's always, baseball's in his soul. It's in his blood. So he'll always do something with baseball. And then also he's now working on the MLB network and he goes once a month to New York and spends a week there and loves doing that. So he's fulfilled in such a different way now that I wonder, you know, there've been many times people have said, well, what if he was offered a managerial position? And I think he'd have to think long and hard about it because it would be an incredible chance to go back and win that elusive world series ring that he came one out away from winning, Mm -hmm. but he loves what he's doing now. And that would take him away from his family. He's also coaching our son and he wouldn't get to do that. So it's just, it's a new chapter of life and and he's fulfilled in a different way now. And so you are happy in your life in Chicago and it would be unsettling to move and start something new at this point. It probably sounds like that, but we're, we do have gypsy blood. And I think if we had to pull up stakes and go that as long as the four of us are, you know, our daughter, Lila, the four of us can, can really do anything together. We're, I feel like we're formidable in that way. We're adaptable. We had to be. I grew up moving a lot. Jim didn't. Jim was from Peoria. And so when he did start, when, you know, when he signed with Philadelphia and had to move to Philadelphia and then tra- subsequent trades after that, that was difficult for him. 
um, more than me. I was, I was like, okay, let's get some boxes and we're ready to go. But he has now, that has added such perspective in his life. I think now he's used to it and he could do it if we needed to. That's really great. We're kind of running out of time, but you referenced several times that you're working on something new. Can you talk about that? I'm not sure if it's going to be a series. So I revisited the three chapters that I was working on after Walland. And I'm, I'm sort of working on both. I'm working on that and a new series that's going to be set in the Pacific Northwest, which is another one of my favorite areas of the country um, in, near Portland is the first book. And there's always going to be somebody in my books that have some kind of artistic bend or they're creative. So I'm really interested in exploring a family that is, inter- that is into microbrewing. And the whole huh. time I'm learning about microbreweries and all of that right now, the science of that. And I think it's a real kind of a family business appeals to me. So that's sort of that's sort of the, the gist of what this new book is going to be about. And that's going to require a lot of research. It is. And I actually already went to Portland in December by myself. My husband's so supportive. He's like, you know what? Go immerse yourself. I told him I need to go sit in some cafes in Portland and listen to how people speak because it's so different from the Rockies. And it's very different from the South where I had spent a lot of time with this first series. So yeah, he allowed me to go out and, you know, I got myself a rental car and drove everywhere from Mount Hood to Cannon Beach on the coast and everywhere in between and just looked and listened. And it was really helpful. Oh, that's terrific. Well, Andrea, thanks so much for sharing your life with us and talking about your career. I thought it was just really wonderful to get to know who you are. Oh, Sandy, I really appreciate it. There is nothing authors appreciate more than a little a little help in the publicity department. So thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'm grateful. Totally my pleasure. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. But I'm out.